Here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking crimes against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that honestly, none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, if you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. One January morning in 2014, a father to a two-year-old daughter ends his engagement to his fiancée of only a month. Cheating allegations being the cause behind the breakup. She seems to take things well, on the surface that is, but the father still leaves his only child with his estranged partner, a woman who would take Grace on a shopping trip before concocting an elaborate story to explain the little girl's murder. This is Grace's story. It was a high school sweetheart story. 2001. Mitch Ford and Emily Ward met in their senior year of high school, and they were the type of couple you would look at in the school halls and wish you were them. They were perfect, good-looking and popular. They had the world at their feet. After graduation, Mitch joined the US Army, and in 2005 he was deployed to Iraq. The distance did nothing but strengthen their love, and when he returned, they would be married. It seems the relationship was perfect, before Mitch left for his second deployment in 2009. While Mitch was in Iraq, Emily would deal with her loneliness by turning to alcohol and prescription pills. Mitch would again return drained and finally ready to commit to family life, the couple trying for a baby. But Emily's demons became too much and the couple would divorce, finding out only days after the divorce was finalised that Emily was pregnant with their first child. For what it's worth, Emily got clean and her and Mitch reconciled and remarried to try and work it out for their daughter. Grace Lillian Ford would be born February 24, 2011 in Frisco, Texas. She was perfect and beautiful and amazing. But Emily's addiction would again take over her life and she would overdose while caring for her newborn daughter. This would ultimately cause the end of Emily and Mitch's marriage for good, and what would be the start of a bitter custody battle. Due to the alleged overdose in front of the baby, temporarily Mitch would receive full custody of baby Grace while Emily had visitation. While Emily struggled with recovery, Mitch started work as a salesperson with Mercedes-Benz, It would be here he would meet 24-year-old Melinda Munez, and by October 2012 they would start dating. This relationship would be fast-tracked, and the couple would quickly move in together before announcing their engagement a year later, on December 13, 2013. Melinda would quit her job only three months into their relationship to become a full-time stay-at-home carer for baby Grace. Melinda would tell anyone who would listen. All she wanted to be was Grace's mum, that Grace would call her mum. Melinda would post to social media the perfect life the three of them had together. And she does come across as a loving caregiver, singing with a toddler in the car, doing Grace's hair, lots of family photos. 
It's officially time to kickstart your holiday shopping, but there's no cause to panic. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for mum, dad, teenagers, in-laws or your best friends, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Now, I have just moved into a new home and they have the cutest home decor, from pillows and hand-poured candles, which I must say I can never have enough, and wall art. My walls are in desperate need of some gorgeous, colourful art. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses, which I love. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the USA. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com stolen. That's uncommongoods.com stolen for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. January 8, 2014. The evening was uneventful. Mitch got home from work, played with Grace and had dinner with his fiancée and daughter. Grace went to sleep and the couple went to bed, everyone exhausted after a busy day. But then Melinda's phone's notifications kept going off, and while Melinda slept through this, Mitch could not. And I get that is aggravating, when you're tired and you can't sleep. Any little inconvenience that might stop that much-needed slumber from happening, it becomes like nails on a chalkboard. Mitch grabbed Melinda's phone to turn off notifications or to turn her phone on silent. Either way, it's not important to the story. But in an effort to stop the noise, Mitch sees just what the source of the notifications were. Upon opening Melinda's phone, Mitch found topless photos and sexually suggestive videos of Melinda sent to her personal trainer. The notifications Mitch was hearing were inappropriate texts the trainer was sending in return. I imagine showing his approval. But this was the final straw for Mitch. Melinda had caused him some stress with his ex-wife Emily the last six months, resulting in a number of CPS reports against him. June 2013. Emily and her father Doug placed a report with CPS, stating there was unexplained bruising to Grace's face. To Doug, it seemed as someone had forcibly grabbed the little girl by her face. And this was supported by doctors, saying the injuries were consistent with falling on a bed frame. Melinda and Mitch were referred to parenting classes and it was case closed. November 2013. Melinda rushed Grace to hospital. The toddler was unresponsive and barely breathing. Doctors were able to revive Grace and it was determined the girl had overdosed on Benadryl. Another report to CPS was filed. But again, CPS deemed what happened to be an accident and Mitch and Melinda were again referred to parenting classes. But this was another incident Emily was using as reasons to regain custody of Grace. And finally, in December 2013, during a visitation with Emily, she saw a fingerprint bruising to her daughter's arm and she reported the injuries to CPS. When questioned about it, Melinda said that Grace started to fall on some ice outside and she had grabbed the girl so she did not get hurt. 
CPS accepted this and they closed the report unsubstantiated. And Mitch believed Melinda that all these reports were misunderstandings and accidents. And why shouldn't he? She was his fiancée. But now, with what he found on her phone, how could he trust her? To Mitch, the relationship was over. The next morning, January 9th, 2014, Mitch confronted Melinda over the photos and texts. He told her they were done, but she could keep the engagement ring to sell to help her move out. That she needed to be out of the apartment within days. Mitch would later testify at trial that Melinda was unemotional at the news, like she almost expected it. There was no fight, no tears, that she didn't appear angry at all. So at 11.45am, Mitch kissed Grace goodbye and left for work, leaving his two-year-old daughter in the care of Melinda. Over the next almost two hours, Mitch would message Melinda several times demanding to know when she'd be moving out, so he could arrange alternative care for Grace. Melinda does not respond to any of these messages. According to Melinda, during this time she went out to get her engagement ring resized and then planned to go to a fertility appointment at 2pm. It seemed as if Melinda did not believe or accept the relationship was over. That maybe after a day at work, Mitch would calm down and everything would be okay again. Melinda and Grace left the home, and it was on the way to the jewellers, Melinda realised she forgot her ring, and the pair headed back home to fetch it. Melinda used her fob key to let herself into the apartment building and then the apartment. The apartment building security system that records fob key usage supports this story. Mitch received a phone call from Melinda just after 1.30pm. In what would have been terrifying for Mitch, just after Melinda told him that she arrived home, Melinda dropped the phone and started screaming for help. Mitch called 911, desperate for the police to go to the apartment to make sure everything was okay. By the time Mitch arrived at the Eastside Village Apartments on the 1500 block of J Place in Plano, Texas, police were already at the scene. The front door was locked, so Mitch used his fob key to allow police entry into the home. It was clear something had happened. Two bar stools were knocked down, a red chair turned over on its side, and a coffee table overturned. There were concerns maybe an intruder was still inside the home. Two police officers, Officer Aaron Dodo and Officer Wardle, checked in and cleared the apartment. There was no one else there. Besides Melinda, lying face down next to the coffee table, her pants and underwear around her ankles... Officer Wardle would later testify he rolled Melinda onto her back and removed the duct tape covering her mouth. Her eyes were twitching, quote, like she was trying to keep her eyes closed, unquote. When the duct tape was removed, Melinda yelled at the officer to get off her. Melinda would then describe what happened, that she and Grace arrived home and as she was shutting the door, a man forced his way in. Melinda telling a tale of an intruder dressed in all black, that he sexually assaulted her, punched her several times in the face with a closed fist, and she lost consciousness. The question was then, where was Grace? Officer Aaron Dodo searched for the two-year-old, finding her lying in her cot. She was wearing only a T-shirt and she was face down, just like Melinda. Grace's underwear was near the door. Officer Aaron Dodo held his breath while he rolled her over, 
The toddler was cold to the touch, with duct tape firmly across her mouth, cheek to cheek. The officer later stated he found the duct tape strange because the edges were straight, like someone had taken time to pre-cut them with scissors, not hurriedly tearing them in a frenzied attack. Officer Aaron Dodo checked for a pulse and there was nothing. Grace Ford was dead. He started CPR and never stopped until paramedics arrived. Despite everyone's best efforts, Grace never regained consciousness. It seemed everything stopped at this point. All focus was on this baby and trying to save her life. Treating doctors would later testify that on arrival, Grace was pale, not breathing, and her pupils were dilated. As a nurse attempted to insert a catheter, she noticed tears, bruising and blood in her vaginal area. Evidence of a sexual assault. Doctors here knew that Grace needed a specialised treatment, and she would be transferred to the Children's Medical Centre Dallas for sexual assault evidence collection. However, whether Grace was indeed sexually assaulted, it was inconclusive. Doctors would also discover a large bruise to the little girl's back, a bruise that doctors believe may have been caused by an adult putting their knee against Grace's back to hold her down. It was not the type or location of bruise that Grace could have done by herself accidentally. It was clear what Melinda was saying didn't happen. Both her and Grace's injuries were not consistent with a random frenzied attack. Investigators found two articles of interest during a forensic examination of the computers in the family home. One article was about a man who killed his three children to get back at his ex-wife, and then he claimed insanity. Another article was about a teacher who had posted a picture of her students with duct tape over their mouths with a caption, quote, finally found a way to keep them quiet, unquote. Now, I am definitely not the one to point fingers at anyone's internet search history. I have some dark, dark stories coming up for Mysteriously Listed in 2024, and my search history for that alone, if I died, my poor family. I make light of this. But generally, humans are curious, and when we stumble across something strange or unusual, we want to know more. But the evidence starts piling up here, and Melinda's internet search history provides evidence of her thought process at the time of the attack. Searches on Melinda's computer found duct tape, kill, Benadryl, suffocate, and staging. Melinda's story continued to unravel. Surveillance footage on the morning of the alleged attack at a nearby Dollar Tree store, showed Melinda pushing a shopping cart with Grace riding along. Melinda buying duct tape, zip ties, cotton balls and a pair of scissors. Police went back to search the home, and here they found two of the zip ties under a couch in the living room. The remaining ties in their packaging were never found. Neither was the roll of tape or the scissors found either. Police believed Melinda disposed of the items before calling Mitch. When she was released from hospital, police obviously wanted to talk more to Melinda about what happened because, with the surveillance footage and the computer searches and the items found in the home, nothing was adding up. And cracks started to show. Melinda mentioned duct tape on Grace in the video interview, but there was no way she could have known this. According to Melinda, she was already unconscious before anything happened to Grace, and police were keeping the duct tape on the toddler under wraps. Detective Chris Jones straight out called Melinda a liar. Quote, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. There are issues with this story. Unquote. 
When she left the interview, Melinda agreed to return the next day, to bring back forms for the written statement and to take a polygraph. Neither of these things would ever happen. Police were coming down hard on Melinda. They knew the whole intruder-attacker scenario was a complete farce. Melinda's mother, Bridgette Muniz, told detectives her daughter had been acting disorientated and she had memory loss. That Melinda did not remember anything for the last 12 months. She didn't remember Mitch or Grace or anything beyond living with her parents. Now let's just stop right there because I'm confused why she didn't remember Mitch or Grace because at that point she had known them for almost 18 months. But let's go with it. But Bridgette told the detectives this memory loss had only started that morning. When questioned by police about this newly discovered amnesia, Melinda said she could not remember anything from the last couple of months. But her memory would come back in a couple of days. I don't think that's how it works, but what do I know? I'm not a doctor. I'm just confused how Melinda knows her memory will come back, but I don't know. It would be now hospital staff would conduct a CAT scan to determine brain activity. And while there was no bleeding on Grace's brain, there was significant swelling. Grace was placed on a ventilator while it was a sit and wait to see if Grace would wake up. Ultimately, Grace had been deprived of oxygen for too long and she would be pronounced brain dead. After three days, Grace's life support was turned off on January 12, 2014. Given the suspicions surrounding her death, her mother Emily was given full custody. With Emily allowing her daughter's organs to be harvested to save countless other children's lives as an organ donor. According to the medical examiner's report into Grace's death, her cause of death was due to criminal homicide by asphyxiation. However, Dr. Rita determined that a child of Grace's age, she wouldn't suffocate with her mouth covered as they would breathe through their nose. Unlike a newborn, for instance, who are more mouth breathers. Although a child could hypothetically die from tape blocking their mouth if they had a stuffy nose, maybe from crying, for example. However, it would take longer than the five minutes we're talking about from the time the attack of Melinda and Grace occurred and the police arriving at the scene. But even more importantly, a child of Grace's age could simply remove the duct tape themselves if it was stopping their breathing. And this is something prosecutors would later use at trial. A video was shown during the trial, showing Grace pulling the wrapping of a Christmas present only weeks before her death. Authorities testifying Grace would have been capable of removing the duct tape from her mouth if she was conscious. It was during this time Mitch started drinking heavily and he continued pursuing a relationship with Melinda. He believed her that she didn't do anything to harm Grace and that she had lost her memory. He would later testify in court that at one point he even held a gun to Melinda's head, demanding to know what happened to his daughter. January 15, 2014. Despite being told by police and attorneys not to, he agreed to meet with Melinda. Melinda acting like she didn't recognise him the entire time. He questioned her about the amnesia claims in his car, that police were telling him they did not believe her. Mitch and Melinda would go out for dinner and drinks, where she managed to convince him that she remembered absolutely nothing of their relationship. Later that night, after he drove her home, Melinda came on to Mitch and the two had sex in his car. 
As she left, she asked him if anything was going to happen to her. All Mitch said was it didn't matter. What mattered was Grace was dead, and it seems it was all left at that. January 28, 2014, three weeks after Grace was killed. In her final recorded interview with police, Melinda admitted to making up the intruder story. That the reason for buying the zip ties and the duct tape and the cotton balls was for an arts and crafts session she planned on doing with Grace. That she had cut up the pieces of tape for the toddler. That when she left Grace in her room with the items to go clean the kitchen, Grace was happy and playing. Melinda said that what happened next, that Mitch would never forgive her. Quote, I did the wrong thing. I know I did the wrong thing. I could have helped her or something. Unquote. Melinda said she came back to check on Grace after a time and found the little girl face down on her bed in her room. According to Melinda, Grace had put the tape on her own mouth. But instead of instinctively running over and trying to revive the toddler, Melinda said... When I went to grab it off, I freaked out, and that's when I had my gloves. I got my gloves, and I tried to do whatever. That she started to remove the tape, but when it was clear that Grace was not okay and that she was dead, Melinda said she panicked and replaced the tape over Grace's mouth. And this was when she concocted the intruder's story, because she could not tell anyone what really happened. It was at this point Melinda Munez was arrested and charged with capital murder. And even though the maximum penalty for capital murder in Texas is death, prosecutors announced they weren't going to seek the death penalty due to Melinda's young age of 25. The little tryst in Mitch's car I mentioned earlier, it led to a pregnancy, maybe. Because October 1st, 2014, Melinda gave birth to a baby boy, a baby that was temporarily placed in the custody of Melinda's parents. Now, it wasn't clear who the father was. Both Mitch and the personal trainer were ordered to take paternity tests. And guys, I dug as deep as I could, but for the life of me, I could not find the results of these tests and who the actual father of Melinda's baby boy was. But I did listen to the crematorium episode on Grace's story, and a massive shout-out to all the hard work Madeline does on her podcast. But she said in her coverage of Grace's story that it was determined Mitch was the father, and he eventually gained full custody of the little boy. January 27, 2015, Melinda Munez would go to trial at the Collins County Courthouse in front of District Judge Mark Rush. The prosecution put forward motives of anger and revenge, that Melinda got angry that Mitch was ending their relationship and she wanted him to pay. The prosecution gave a scenario they believed what happened based on the evidence and Grace's injuries. They spoke of Grace's routine, that when she got home, she would sit by the door and take her shoes off. It was then, when Grace was taking off her shoes, that Melinda dragged the toddler into her room. She suffocated her by putting her knee into the little girl's back and then staged the scene with tape. Melinda found that the zip ties, tied to make mini handcuffs, they didn't work. So she threw them away, but she missed the two the police found in the apartment. A doctor from the Children's Medical Centre Dallas testified that Grace had to have been held down and suffocated for at least three minutes. During the trial, the prosecutor set a timer and let the clock tick down those three minutes. As it reached zero, he said, and that's when her lifeless body moved no more. The cover-up began. 
Melinda's attorney argued that Grace's death was no accident, and they kept to Melinda's third story. That the toddler had put the tape over her own mouth in an arts and craft activity gone wrong. On the advice of her attorney, Melinda did not take the stand on her own behalf. Defence attorney Robbie McLung asked Judge Rush to allow the jurors to consider the lesser charge of felony murder, the judge denying the motion. February 2, 2015, the jury reached their verdict in 45 minutes, a verdict of not guilty of capital murder. In her victim impact statement, Grace's grandmother directed her comments to Melinda, quote, You are pure evil. You will never be able to touch a child again. Unquote. When it was Emily's turn to speak, she said, Because of you, I will never hear my beautiful daughter sing again, but also stated that she forgave Melinda for what she did. In Mitch's victim impact statement, he said, I miss Grace every day. I don't forgive you and I never will. Judge Rush imposed the automatic sentence of life without the possibility of parole. Melinda Munez will serve her sentence in a women's prison in Marlin, Texas. Speaking to the waiting media after the trial, Grace's grandfather Doug Reeves tearfully stated, No one wins here. We need to learn to live without Grace. Melinda's attorneys immediately launched their appeal, arguing there wasn't enough evidence to support her conviction, that photos and a video of Grace should not have been used as evidence in the trial that the judge refused to allow jurors to consider that lesser offence of felony murder. The appeal also argued that the judge erred in denying a request to dismiss a juror based on a comment his wife said about the case. The Fifth District of Appeals sided with the trial court's ruling in each instance. Melinda Munez will spend the rest of her life behind bars. The burden of losing her daughter became all too much for Grace's mother, Emily. And on May 3, 2015, Emily tried to take her own life. Doctors would tell loved ones they didn't expect her to survive. But she did, and she turned her life around. Emily has since remarried to a man named Chris, and they still live in Texas. Emily gave birth to another little girl in December of 2016. Grace, Lily and Ford loved animal crackers, Minnie Mouse and singing. Grace was buried January 18, 2014, at Ridgeview Memorial Park in Allen, Texas. Her grave adorned with an angel, Grace's photo and pink flowers, Grace's favourite colour. Emily spoke at her daughter's funeral. Gracie, your dad and mama love you and will always miss you. You have brought so much joy to our lives. We are blessed to have such an amazing daughter. You truly are an amazing Grace. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. 
Music is by Mayu. 